Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The Call is brought to you by CMC Markets, a world-leading online trading platform for CFDs and shares around the globe. And hello, welcome to The Call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Friday, the 30th September, the end of the month. And our guests today... Uh, Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Philip Pepe from Shore and Partners. Welcome to both of you, uh, Claude, Phil. Good to see you. Of course, um, are you liking this volatility at the moment, Phil? Uh, I don't love it, um, <laughs> but I guess it presents opportunities. I guess a complaint many people had over the past two years, they felt they'd missed some good stocks that had run pretty hard. So in some cases, it gives you an opportunity to buy some of those quality companies at lower prices. Uh, of course, the outlook may have changed for some, but sort of if you're complaining you missed stuff a year ago, then maybe you get a chance to buy some good companies um, today at much lower prices. Yeah, Claude, how are you feeling about the current market then, given what's going on, particularly at a macro level, I guess, but to Phil's point, it does present opportunity, doesn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't say we're at the point of maximum opportunity at the moment. Actually, I just wrote an article about this, um, talking about the 10 signs that will like really make me want to buy stocks. So not saying that I can pick the bottom or, or that I'd even uh, expect to, but just trying to buy towards the more closer to the maximum point of opportunity than we are now. In terms of the volatility, you know, this has been expected for a while now. We started talking about inflation way back in, I think it was November, December last year. Obviously, it turned out to be a bit harsher than some of us, including my th myself, thought. But nonetheless, there's been plenty of time now to prepare. You know, it's months ago that I wrote about how the most important thing for a small cap investor is to have plenty of dry powder. And that's where I am. So, I, you know, I guess I'm ready. I'm hoping that, not hoping, but I'm preparing for a scenario where you know markets do go lower. We get a lot more opportunities in small cap stocks, which just tend to be more volatile. They're going to be higher beta stocks. They're going to have uh, bigger swings from their maximum PE ratio to their minimum PE ratio, and also maybe bigger swings in their actual operating leverage if they are the kind of company that has profit bounce up and down. Of course, I'm more looking for the ones with secular growth in their profit. All right. Well, let's see if there's anything on today's list that you're interested in. Uh, the first five stocks we're going to be covering. Sigma Healthcare, uh, CBA, NZME, Black Cat Syndicate, Southern Cross, Electrical, and our stock of the day, A2 Milk. Uh, it will begin buying back 37 million shares. It continues to assess trading conditions uh, prior to commencing the buyback. The dairy giant saying it has made a positive start to the year. First quarter sales expected to be marginally ahead of plan, reflecting the benefit of favorable foreign exchange driven uh, by the depreciation of the Kiwi dollar and taking a look at the stock as it's performing today off around 1%, pretty much reflecting where the market is going. 
And Phil, I note it's saying it is listing those risks at the moment just as far as um, COVID impacts remaining, supply chains, and obviously also as far as uh, FX movements and commodity prices, saying these risks could materially impact expected revenue and earnings outcomes. How do you look at A2 Milk? And I guess particularly as far as its markets are concerned, because we know what's happened in China. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that to add as well. They are selling into China. Uh, China is uh, the birth rate is slowing, and that was one reason to buy A2 Milk in the past for the growth. You've got more brands, you've got higher um, production costs, and you've got uh, the ongoing um, registration changes over there. Um, the trading update this morning wasn't great to say that we're slightly ahead of last year because of the currency falling. Well, that suggests that operations have gone backwards, but on the translation, they're actually slightly up. So you don't buy companies necessarily because of a currency play, you buy it for the earnings um, earnings growth. So for me, that was a pretty soft trading update, a uh, long way to go, um, but still pretty soft. I would say you don't need to be there if it wasn't for the buyback. 150 mil, I think they've announced it starts in a week's time. That'll support the share price for a period of time if it's a genuine buyback and depending on how aggressive they are. Uh, but fundamentally, it's on fair value, uh, roughly fair value compared to consensus estimates. You don't need to own it. If you did own it, you'd probably sell into the buyback over the next um, next four to six weeks. Yeah, interesting strategy then. Claude, yeah, what... what uh how do you look at the stock, particularly in light of the buyback? Look, I'm, I'm not against the buyback, but I, I'm not inspired by it either. The reason for that is that essentially as an investor, I'm trying to buy shares that have some sort of, uh, you know, long-term tailwind that's blowing in their favor. Now, a few years ago, I would have argued that that included A2 milk because if we wind the clock back a few years, we're having increasing uh, trade between us and China. We were having... Uh, the Daigu coming over here in Australia and cleaning out the shelves from A2 Milk. And obviously the brand power was amazing. And that was uh, really driving their profit growth, them and Bellamy's. You know, of course, you'll remember when they, they were just amazing stories where an Australian company had been able to so effectively and safely get money out of China. That is no easy feat, right? Half the companies over there, they've got their profits over there and they can't bring it back to Australia or you know, Foslock is a good example of where they, they're never getting that money out. So A2 Milk, brilliant brilliant uh, mechanism of getting money out of China, worked really well. Then China started slap, like stamping down on this, uh, you know, Daigu practice. Basically, the Chinese government is in an authoritarian state. People forget it. They love to pretend, oh, yeah, buy Baba, use the same mechanisms you're going to use to um, compare it to Amazon, mate, this is China. If the government says there's going to be less A2 milk sold in China, that is the long-term trend. So I don't love that long-term trend. I wouldn't invest into it. Look, the buyback's probably a good opportunity to prop up the share price to get out. Uh, so definitely not one for me, just because I'm looking for long-term tailwinds in my investing. That's really one of the golden rules I do have. If you're holding it, what do you do with it? I mean, personally, I'd be, you know, I'm not saying panic and sell, like, but I'm definitely not saying that I would hold that in my portfolio. I think the buyback's a good opportunity to calmly try and get a decent price for your shares. I don't see the long-term argument for holding this business. Okay, fair enough. That is the assessment of A2 Milk. All right, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. Uh, the first one, Sigma Healthcare. Nick wanting to know about this. Um, in fact, losses at the uh, pharmaceutical wholesaler widened over the last half uh, as it uh, considered sort of the inventories it has and also its asset write-offs. Um, 
Claude, we did see revenue up uh, 1.8 thereabouts in the first half. Um, a lot of that driven by, I guess, people just getting out there into the chemists and buying those rapid antigen tests. So what's your view of, um, of Sigma? Well, so Sig- Sigma is actually an interesting one for me because even though I don't own shares in Sigma, I actually own shares in uh, a competitor called EBOS Group. And I have for quite some time, talked about it many times on Ausbiz as well. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what Phil says on Sigma because he knows Sigma a lot better than I do. But from my perspective, um, the Sigma Sigma's inadequacies is part of the reason that uh, I've been a happy holder um, of EBOS Group, which is, of course, a competing company that actually now serves Chemist Warehouse. I believe once upon a time, Sigma had um, the distribution for Chemist Warehouse. I may be wrong on that, Phil, I'm sure, can clarify. But uh, look, these guys have been real, real losers. That's not a uh, reflection on the current CEO or CFO, who are both new and enacting a turnaround. You can find articles back from 2020 with Sigma boasting about how they had a new pharmacy order system thanks to SAP. Well, as I have seen many, many times in listed companies, they got SAP'd. And two years later, they're talking about they're stabilizing their um, pharmacy order system. Two years later, that's like, hey, turnaround is going. We're finally getting the um, ERP system going with SAP. And, And look, obviously, this has just been a joke in terms of uh, how they run their business and now they're trying to do a turnaround and that's the story um look if from my point of view even if they do uh get a good turnaround in the next year or two i wouldn't expect more than you know maybe 20 million dollars profit now it could be higher than that um it's definitely possible but you've got to ask yourself what's the sustainable uh level of profitability for uh a smaller player or, or, you know, not smaller, it's in a competitive environment. It's got EBOS Group, API competitors there. So it's not going to be a fat margin business. It's a distribution company. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I'm definitely not um, against the turnaround story. I think that, you know, they're addressing their problems. But for me, I'd say I hold it best. Also, just with that bias there, I think that um, EBOS Group is at least on a better trailing yield than Sigma, and I'd be looking at these as dividend stocks. I'm not buying EBOS Group right now either. This has had a ma- massive run-up since um, I bought it at the beginning of the uh, pandemic. So for me, these distributors in an inflationary environment, they've got their work cut out, obviously capital-intensive businesses, no real reason to get excited about this kind of business right now. Within this industry, I, mu- I prefer their competitor, which I do own shares in, but yeah, I wouldn't bet against them, but no, no, nothing too positive for me. Okay, Phil, your thoughts? Interesting. Um, I think the stock's fair value at this price. Uh, it has been a decade of two halves for this company. Uh, up until about five years ago, they were servicing the entire Chemist Warehouse contract, a contract worth about $1.8 billion and growing. We all know how, how well Chemist Warehouse is doing. Uh, and share price was well above current levels in the $1.30, $1.40, $1.50 range. Um, then things started to go wrong where they lost all of the Chemist Warehouse contract, one part of it back, changed, uh, lost their CEO, lost their CFO, and um, you know did the you know, 
in hindsight, which is a clear warning, uh, implemented the SAP Enterprise Management System, which is, you know, it's a great system, but it takes a while. It's quite complex to put in place and it costs them revenue um, as it sometimes does. So in January, they had no CEO, no CFO, losing revenue because they couldn't get the inventory out the door. They couldn't service their customers. So everything was going wrong. Share prices around 40 cents or so. Enter a new managing director who's saying, he started in February. He's got a great reputation out of the Clicks Group in South Africa, moved to Australia in February, appointed a new CFO, working through their SAP implement, implementation systems, which they now say are in place. Um, as, as luck would have it, uh, they did well out of rat sales uh, early in the year, given once we switched from different forms of testing, you know, they did 52 million or something in profits from, um, from rats in the first half. So they're coming out the other side. The other thing that the industry is benefiting from for two years, as we were working from home, there was no cold and flu season. There were no tourists, we were all at home, nobody was getting sick, cold and flu tablets, which are a large part of the um, segment's revenue, just was, was dis disappeared. That's all now starting to come back and people now starting to look forward um, in terms of what the pharmacy space might do. EBOS is the market leader. EBOS has benefited from um, the problems that Sigma has had. EBOS has benefited from the problems that Australian pharmaceutical industries has had. They are now owned by West Farmers. So I guess part of the thesis on Sigma is given that West Farmers came and bought API, will someone come and buy Sigma given that clearly healthcare is, uh, is a good growth space? So for me, all that's now in the share price. You can actually buy EBOS at a lower multiple than you can buy Sigma at the moment. Uh, probably argue both a fair value, um, like what Sigma does, but it's a hold at the current share price for me. Okay, pretty much reflecting what Claude had to say there. Uh, a hold for both for Sigma. All right, let's uh, move on to CBA, the biggest bank, of course, uh, Damien monitoring about this uh, cash earnings. It's uh, last uh, result there, 9.6 billion. And in fact, uh, news just out, APRA, the prudential regulator, has removed the final half a billion dollar capital charge put in place. That's uh, that was put there initially because of previous governance and conduct failings. Um, and just uh, noting there too, as far as its dividend yield, uh, just over 4%, slightly lower than the other big four there, Phil. So how do you view CBA? Look, it's uh, one of the biggest companies in the market for a reason, uh, and it's a good barometer, and it's, it's benefit at the moment is it is one of the biggest, uh, and liquidity is in its favour. Uh, I think it's a hold, A, because of the dividend yield, and B, it's not quite very expensive. It's 16 times forward PE. We all know interest rates, interest rates are rising. We know home loan growth will explode. They are exposed to home loans. We know we expect bad debts to rise as people roll off from cheap loans to more expensive loans. I think that news is out there and that's in the price. Um, that's major benefit is it's, you know, it's done what it's done for a long period of time. International funds who come in and out of Australia will always buy the more liquid companies first, uh, micro caps, small caps last. So um, I, I, I think CBA is a genuine hold given that we the negative news is in the price. You get the 4% dividend yield and when we eventually recover um, from whatever downturn we're heading into, I think CBA will, will rebound over the medium term. How, in your view, how's it stack up with the other three? Uh, it's not the cheapest. I'd say Westpac is the cheapest. It's got a cost out story as well. Uh, it's probably the highest quality of, uh, of the four. So it's quality over valuation uh, at this point in time. But it is a hold. Claude. Well, uh, I'll just riff off what Phil said then. In terms of the dividend yield, the only thing that I would say is do keep in mind that dividends can go up and down. That doesn't mean it's not an appropriate dividend stock. It'll keep paying dividends. And 
I'm a big believer that Australia does better than most countries in the long term uh, due to the fact that we have an attractive democracy and therefore can rely on continuing immigration. And also we have heaps of natural resources. So I'm bullish Australia. Commonwealth Bank is going to reflect that to a large degree. However, just remember, dividends can go up and down. You're going to have, I believe we're going to have quite an economic cycle now, probably have a recession. So none of those things are particularly bullish. I think the Commonwealth Bank share price will go down most likely. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a sell though, especially if you've, you know, held, you've got it, if you'd sell it, you'd have a capital gains tax. You know, I'm not a tax advisor and I'm not talking about that, but there are other considerations just because you think a stock's going to go down doesn't always mean you do want to sell it immediately. But I do think the share price will go down. And obviously I don't expect to get any alpha from buying Commonwealth Bank. And I feel like my main criticism would be for someone who owns Commonwealth Bank, I feel like you'd be better off owning, owning the index but uh, each their own, I guess. So a hold? A hold, but a sell if you're, you know, young and sporty <laughs> and an old if you're... <laughs> and a hold if, hold if you're old. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to know what, uh, at what point uh, you become young and then old. But anyway, that's for you to decide. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on to NZME. Vaughan wanting to know about this. It is New Zealand Media and uh, New Zealand Media and Entertainment. And uh, in fact, uh, well, it sort of operates in that space with real estate listings. And uh, interested to know, Claude, whether how much you know about this company, whether you're interested. Oh, not a lot because it's not a uh, it's not a high moat business, and I think it's a declining media business so it's kind of the opposite of what i invest in and perhaps the most interesting thing i can explain to people is that the if you want to be a long-term investor you want to have the tides of time on your side time is the most powerful and most valuable thing in life and yeah there might be an opportunity for a a dying company or or a slimming company to get um too cheap and then you buy it and then they run up for cash a bit and pay a big dividend and that pops it back up and you can make money by buying it too cheap and selling it reasonable, for example. But that is actually necessarily a high turnover portfolio strategy. That's a lot of work. You've got to keep running the numbers. Oh, is it cheap now? Yes, it is. Okay, now it's a sell. Got to take my money. Look, I'm not opposed to that kind of trading. But in terms of my main game, and especially I think it, it's better to be in the long-term mindset now because we are actually beginning to have negative sentiment in markets. We are going into arguably recession. During these times, that's when you want to pick up the really high quality companies that you can just end up holding for many years. Because as an investor, if you've been investing long enough, you'll know the power of having a multi-year, multi-bagger, it can actually really drive your returns and out. And that's what individual investors can do because you can have the sentiment just to buy and hold long-term, but you need to do high quality companies. That's why probably Bill can give us more of a deep dive on this one, but that's why I would say this gets deleted from my potential list of buys just because the, that long-term media tailwind, media is getting disrupted. I, wor- I work for a media organization and all of that share, my subscription revenue comes from old media. And that is the same as everybody else who's revolutionizing this space. So that's why I'm not in- that interested. Yep, I know what you're talking about. It is a crowded space and it is changing so rapidly. So, Phil, how do you look at it then? I, I like it. I actually think it's a buy. Uh, seven times PE, seven times dividend yield, share buyback in place. I think they've paid a special divvy. Media is getting disrupted, 
but there's different forms of media. They operate in print and online news, they operate in radio, uh, they'd have some property, but they also have um, you know, streaming in iHeartRadio. And they've got big market shares in the markets they operate, over 40% in two of their markets. Now, there's not a lot that can displace radio. If you're driving in your car, um, you're listening to the radio, listening to the advertising, you're hopefully not surfing the social media on your phone. Uh, or, or a podcast, but they, they offer a podcast <laughs> yes. as well. They do podcasts podcast. as well. Yeah. I have podcasts. Check out yeah. Baby Giant. That's yeah. a good podcast. You can listen to Ozby's podcast. Good stuff <laughs> on the car. So that's, that's, you can get exposure there through iHeartRadio. So they do, um, you know, they do own some content. They do have various ways of um, getting the consumer that content. And they're coming through COVID. So, you know, uh, they mm. are exposed to the New Zealand economy. And, you know, like everyone else, interest rates are rising over there. Uh, but they're coming out of the post-COVID lulls. And they've got reasonable operating leverage and they're spinning out a lot of cash. So I think um, they've got some levers they can pull and they have been pulling it. New, new print newspaper subscriptions are going out the back door. We, we know that. But online, people like their live news online um, when they can get it because you can't always stream a podcast. So I think uh, any good news, any bad news is, it is already in the price. But the company's got a reasonably... Uh, positive near-term outlook and it's not expensive so i actually think it's worth a look um certainly at the current share price um yeah it's a buy from me all right good one that's a divergence of opinion for nzme which we like uh all right let's move on to black cat syndicate philip wanting to know about this i'm assuming it's not you phil uh but anyway you're going to tell us about it because it is in the gold space in uh, in wa uh maybe more of an explorer and but of course we know how difficult that has been given what's happened with the gold price at the moment yeah. although some saying perhaps we're going to see a turnaround around now particularly if we start heading into recession but it's also coming down to that us dollar and also those uh where those bond yields are at the moment um and then of course you've got the costs i guess of uh in that space as well so um yeah. black cat syndicate what are your thoughts look um I like it because it's in WA, but it's a sell from me because it's just too small in this market. It's around what, 65 mil market cap. It's quite a liquid and gold is falling. Gold is supposed to be an inflation hedge, but it's fallen from 17, 1800 to 16.50 or so today. And production costs are going up. If you look at what the larger miners are saying, their production costs are going up uh, and their, imp- their main commodity price is falling. So for me, uh, now is not the right time to own a, a speculative gold explorer that's a micro cap. Um, it's, I think it's, uh, it's still bleeding a lot of cash. Uh, I, w- I would park it for, for the meantime until, because it will follow the gold price up. And at the moment, gold mm. price is falling has the double double negative that's it's an e-liquid gold explorer so it's um two reasons why it may struggle to outperform in the next oh, okay so this is a small end do any of the big gold companies interest you at the moment and they're looking cheap they are certainly looking cheap our our gold analyst actually likes most of the bigger ones because they are what he calls the naughty quarter so they are looking cheap yeah um and i'm not a by any stretch a commodity price forecaster but gold is looking cheap gold companies are looking cheap those who are already producing and those who are already the low cost producer based out of wa uh, are worth a look um, for the patient investor Mm, indeed claude what are your thoughts on black cat well with regards to what bill said about uh black cat syndicate i just think he nailed it and anything i'm going to say on top of that will just take away from the overall message so agree with him on that one all right well, okay, then give us, give us your thoughts on the gold sector. So I've essentially, similar to many people, I've considered 
uh, gold to be an inflation hedge, but it's not been acting like that. And I wonder if there's actually a long-term tailwind at one of those tight, you know, massive movements in the zeitgeist, which is meaning that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is taking some of the place of gold. And that makes sense, uh, given that both of them are sort of considered non-government controlled stores of value. So if that's the case, then that's long-term tailwind against gold. And so as a result of that, uh, I have changed my view on gold as being a good inflation hedge and um, and more cautious of it generally and not really that interested in the sector. Yeah, those gold bugs, though, convinced there will be a turnaround. Um, depends on when, though, as you say, Phil, you've got to be patient at this point. All right. Let's uh, move on to Southern Cross Electrical. Uh, Matt wanting to know about this. It's, uh, well, obviously electrical, instrumentation, communication, maintenance uh, services company. Claude, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I guess there's some um, features of this business is that it's a, 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 a services business that therefore earns quite low margins. So that has what has kept me away from it historically. Having said that, you know, these guys are big and they've got a fair bit of scale. And as we've seen them be listed over a fairly long listed life, we've seen them grow that scale. And, you know, it seems the last results look seemed pretty good. And these guys, by the way, the share price dropped recently because it went ex-dividend. They pay a good dividend yield of, I think, uh, I believe it's fully franked and over 7%. So you're probably looking at, in my opinion, if you really are have a little bit uh, in your portfolio for a good dividend stock, then I believe this is hard to kill as an idea. Like, obviously, it's a smaller cap. It has lower margins. Therefore, um, it's a little bit more vulnerable, say, if labor costs go up or uh, inflation drives up their costs. If, if they don't get it right with all the way their contracts are structured, that can end up hurting them. So can be some uh, vulnerabilities in this kind of business. It's not the kind of super resilient, high-quality business that I tend to favor. Having said that, I think having watched them for a few years, they've been paying out a dividend and they've, their most recent results also showed an incremental gain. It's true that an economic cycle downturn could hurt these guys. Um, having said that, you know, oftentimes government would try and respond with stimulus, uh, which will generally uh, help create some demand for these guys anyway. So it's not a super safe business, but it's a decent dividend stock and I don't mind it at all. Um, I, I don't want to call it a buy because there are too many risk factors for me to want to buy it right now, but I consider it a hold. Okay. All right. Phil, um, yeah, particularly to that point that Claude was making there, if we are heading in, well, certainly uh, an economic slowdown, if not recession, that is going to impact the business. Look, it is. And they had a great uh, FY22. They flagged um, some tailwinds into FY23. They do very well out of Western Australia. About half of their revenue comes from Western Australian mining, some big projects. And they've actually said in their outlook statement that those projects are rolling off uh, and they haven't yet found the large projects to replace them. So they're forecasting basically flat revenue um, and EBITDA into FY23. Often the market's looking for growth. This is a company that says we're not going to grow into the next two years. So it's hard for a company to outperform. So I think that share price move reflects two things. A, X a very healthy dividend and B, the company saying we had a great 12 months, but we haven't found the, the mega revenue for the next three years yet. So it it's a good business it's delivered it probably is a genuine hold that 
downward trend's probably going to continue until someone who got spooked gets out um, until it finds a flaw but, uh, or, or they win a, another material contract. But given that they're cautious with their outlook, uh, I'd also be cautious regarding the stock. So it, it's a hold at best for me and maybe revisit uh, in six to 12 months' time as they start to win the major contracts again. Okay, that is Southern Cross Electrical. Well, let's um, summarise where we've been in the first half of the show, beginning with our stock of the day, which was A2 Milk. Um, both um, really in agreement here, just as far as um, uh, it's because it's announced a buyback, saying perhaps sell uh, after that if you're uh, if you're holding the stock, but uh, longer term, not particularly positive. Sigma Healthcare, the first one, as picked by you. A hold from both, uh, in fact, um, both also looking at uh, EBOS Group, Claude pointing out that that's probably preferential at this point, uh, but uh, Phil also saying fair value. Um, CBA, the big bank, a hold, um, Phil saying not expensive. Claude saying, um, depending on how old you are, interesting call, saying um, if, you're, if you're an older investor, probably hold it. Uh, if you're a younger one, why would you bother? Um, there's plenty else to buy out there, so you put a sell on it. Uh, NZME, a no from Claude, a buy from Phil, seeing potential growth there. Uh, Black Cat Syndicates, it is in the gold space, so we know that's difficult given where the price has been. So both have a sell on it, given it's particularly it's a small explorer. And just finally there, a hold from both on Southern Cross Electrical. All right, now of course we have our own uh, high conviction uh, fund here, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that meeting is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So let's check in on the portfolio update. This is we close out the quarter, of course. Um, so heading into September, uh, Universal Store, Next DC, the Lottery Corp, ResMed, and Oz Minerals were removed. Karun Energy, Boss Resources, Washington Eight Sol Pats, Premier Investments and South 32 were added. So let's check the performance. So far, down 1.6% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. Keep sending in your requests. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, the second half of the show, we're going to be taking a look at Kip McGrath Education Centres, High Pages in New Zealand, Fluence and Australian Agricultural Company. So beginning with Kip McGrath and Albert wanting to know about this, um, it is education and a tutoring business in uh, what's well, concentrating in English speaking markets. So obviously Australia, New Zealand, US, UK and South Africa. Um, it is um, is one of the uh, the favourites from uh, Luke Winchester, in fact. But Claude, I'm going to start with you, and I'm just looking. I mean, the share price has uh, tumbled just recently. Why is that? Well, I think that this is exactly what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. In terms of uh, this is a small cap stock, a genuinely small cap stock. Like not many funds own it. A couple of small cap funds own only, and. Uh, 
it's quite illiquid. So when you do have these risk-off sentiments, these are the stocks that can get quite fundamentally cheap. Now, I own this one um, for full disclosure. And I was look, I ran the numbers this morning because it was down 6% this, uh, this morning. I guess not on much volume. It, it traded at, uh, you know, 75 cents just before the show. So I was actually looking at it there and I was thinking, look, actually, that has crossed into uh, my undervaluation from it, from what I can tell. But I think... In order to understand why it might be undervalued now, you have to con- you have to understand where it is in its story, and it has over the last couple of years been buying back uh, certain franchisees, and these uh, tend to come. They need to collect a cluster of franchisees around um, a corporate center, usually one that's like in a maybe shopping center or something like that, to try and get some economies of scale there. So, for example, they have to have a manager in but they need a manager to be able to manage multiple uh, locations, not just one. So there's very physical reasons why, as they've collected over the last few years up to, I think, double-digit kind of uh, stores that a company owned, and those are turning over supposedly into profitability. So we did see a, a little bit of an increase in profit in the last year, and not, not much, though. Uh, actually... Now, um, it's supposedly poised to make a profit from those corporate scores. So if you believe that, you can factor in a little bit of profit growth, at which point maybe the share price and the 2.5% dividend yield doesn't look so expensive. Longer term, they've also bought this business Tudorfly, which is more based in the, uh, in the USA. And again, these kind of activities have been a drag on profits. It's still quite a small company, only $1.8, $1.9 million in profit in the last year. So obviously just, you know, buying a company and going overseas and all of that kind of thing does bring some risk and some dampening of profits. And that's what the C- the CEO, Storm McGrath, who's the son of the founder, he is ultimately risking, you know, some of the company's welfare on these growth initiatives. And if that works, then I think that it will prove to be quite overvalued. Uh, personally, I would love it if they do focus on just getting those uh, stores singing along right now they've had a couple of years of building that up now and it's supposedly around break even so i'm hoping that they don't open any more corporate scores in the next year or so and that they start to let that profitability come through um however at the end of the day you know the the mcgrath family definitely own and run this company and they'll be making the decisions in the direction at least they own a lot of shares you can know that they are aligned um with the long-term welfare of the company so you hold it what are you doing with it i hold it i do well so i already have a decent position in this so I'm personally haven't bought today and I'm probably not going to buy. But if I didn't buy any shares, if I didn't own any shares in Kit McGrath, I would actually consider, you know, 76 cents, 80 cents, a decent price for a long term patient holding. You've got to wait until this corporate store network starts getting more profitable, which I'm thinking will be in the next couple of years. But until then, you know, at least it'll pay a little dividend. I don't think it'll be too bad a stock. Like I trust these guys as a business, but. Obviously, being a smaller company, investing in growth, it's not guaranteed to win. The idea of a small cap investor is you invest in a number of these and some of them work long term. And when they do, you can get great uplift. Okay, Phil. I like it. Um, I think it's been a victim of um, portfolio rebalance, people selling small caps, people selling pre-profit companies to focus on, on more liquid companies. 
Uh, add to that, they have an exposure to the UK. I think it's about 40% of their revenue comes from the UK. The Aussie is strong against the pound, so on the translation, that's a, that's a headwind uh, for them. But they provide what I would regard as a largely non-discretionary service in tutoring. We're sending more and more people, more and more children to school. There's less people going to trades, more people going to university. Yeah, it's not completely non-discretionary, but it's probably not the first thing tutoring your kids, educating your kids, probably not the first thing you give up um, as things start to slow. So I think there's some resilience to their revenue. Um, and I think it's a good, attractive, long-term opportunity at this price because they provide effectively an essential service. So I think it is a victim of a September quarter rebalance um, and may well rebound um, this year or next year as um, it finds a floor. But I think a good long-term entry position um, at the current price. Calling it a buy. Calling it a buy. Interesting your point there of being non-discretionary. Uh, being a parent myself, I don't know any family that doesn't have tutoring at the moment. Even if you're doing well in a subject, it appears the kids still want to get ahead. Well, it's very competitive. I mean, yeah. not everyone can afford tutoring. It depends on um, which suburb your kid goes to school. But you'd probably give up the meal at the local before you give up your, well, hope you, hopefully you do, before you give up your kids' tutoring. I certainly, <laughs> yeah. I certainly would. Or maybe you would reconsider any sort of um, work that needs done around the home, which brings me to the next stock we're going to take a look at. High Pages, Neil wanted to know about this. It is the online platform and software as a service provider that connects consumers with tradies. And uh, Phil, it's actually, stock is halved essentially over, the, over this year. Yeah, uh, the, the S word software, if you're a software company, you've probably, to be down 50%, you're probably outperforming. There's some software companies are probably down closer to 80%. Uh, once a, a much loved sector, now again, not making profits. If the sector's not making profits, people are willing to sell. Um, it, it's the new norm. We're all using apps to for, for everything. Uh, it is a competitive space. There's high pages, there's Airtasker, there's Facebook Marketplace. Uh, is also a shortage of labour because full employment. So you know, how do you, how do they um, attract uh, people on their platform to do the jobs that consumers want to do? Uh, some of their revenue has been linked to jobs around the house. As um, property values start to fall, you might start to improve them less. Um, but there's always demand. Um, so look, I like what they do. I just think uh, it's a competitive space. It's not overly cheap. Um, it's a hold for me. It's not a must own, uh, not expensive, but it, it's a genuine hold. Yeah, but as you point out, it is it is certainly a competitive space and uh, maybe they'll be squeezed as uh, those economic conditions tighten. So, Claude, what are your thoughts? Well, I largely agree with what Phil said and I was, you know, very interested to hear uh, some of the moving parts that he thinks could affect it. However, I consider the same moving parts and come out with a little bit more of a negative point of view. I just think that uh, this trend that we're talking about of the market selling, I guess the loss making or not yet profitable stuff, that still um, will continue. So I'm more interested in holding shares in the more speculative or smaller companies that are at least proven profitable. And these guys aren't quite there, there yet. They got tantalizingly close, uh, but they're not quite there yet. And also, they're uh, still burning cash. So to me, they still form into that um, cash-burning category. And indeed, their cash went down from $30 million to about $11 million in the last year. So because of that, I really consider them in that least attractive basket um, of opportunities to own right now. And even though... I'm interested in high pages long term because of the potential for a network effect. 
that means as more tradies join it, it becomes more of a go-to destination to get you to find tradies. And as more customers go there, you know, it becomes more important and more attractive to the tradies. And we are going to get to see about that now that, well, if we do go into recession, maybe tradies will need more work. So high pages will become more important. And if that does start to form a network effect, that's when I would be actually interested in buying it because that might be a source of long-term competitive advantage. But until it really starts to make that transition from loss-making idea, like loss-making company there to one that shows evidence of a network effect, which should allow them to make a, a profit margin, then I'm probably going to sit on the sidelines and, and I wouldn't hold it. I'd, I'd probably sell it and, and look to re-enter if and when that uh, you know, competitive advantage deriving from a network effect actually starts to show itself. Does that the same, do you have the same thoughts, same apply to competitors such as uh, Airtasket? Yes, d definitely. So that's not every network effect is equal. So realestate.com.au is the best network effect ever because uh, houses are such a large part of our wealth that it definitely makes sen sense to set uh, spend even on up to two or three websites to try and advertise your house. And the value of a house is so high that even clipping a small, small, tiny cut of that transaction is big money for realestate.com.au. These guys are often hooking people up for much smaller jobs like, yeah, that's great if, um, you know, you, you do a $1,000 job with a tradie and they take a small cut, might be worth it for the tradie. But wouldn't it be better for everyone if you just called the tradie because your mate already had the tradie do some work on his house? Well, that would be better for everyone. So that's why Hypages is potentially a, a, a less uh, effective network effect there. And so uh, it is the same framework I apply to all the network effect businesses, but this one you've got to acknowledge is a much worse one than the best one. All right. Okay. Phil, just to clarify, was that a hold or a sell from you? A uh, hold. A hold. hold. All right. We don't we, know. We I'm not hold. hold. It's yeah. not a must own. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on to Air New Zealand. Uh, Tim wanting to know about this. Uh, we know what it does. Of course, it um, the company uh, having recently announced uh, achieved uh, EBIT of uh, 275 first half. Um, although it points out, obviously, in this current environment, rising fuel costs, which are uh, impacting the um, the earnings for the company. Claude, how, I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's a difficult segment, isn't it? The whole airline industry, I, I think I know what you're going to say, but specifically in <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, like, first of all, you have to let me say my bit about this kind of business. Look, it's everything I don't look for. Capital intensive, uh, cyclical, discretionary, and also probably having a, um, even though it's got a, a short-term tailwind because suddenly everyone can travel again, right? That's the obvious thing. It's rebound back to normal, blah, blah, blah. Well, obviously, we don't know if it's actually just a huge spike because of two years of pent-up demand of travel or where we'll actually end up in terms of the long-term trajectory with uh, travel. For example, higher fuel prices make it more expensive to travel and also everybody knowing how to use Zoom now makes some business travel pointless. So not so convinced about a long-term tailwind there. Maybe obviously we're experiencing a short-term bump in demand and, and a very extreme bump. But um, then Air New Zealand has done really well out of the fact that uh, other airlines weren't flying to New Zealand. There was so few um, international flights, but Air, um, New Zealand itself still needs to get all that cargo from and oftentimes the best way to get it is through the air. On top of that, the shipping prices have gone up massively like in the last year. So that has also incentivized more um, air cargo for New Zealand. And they were up like 
30 something percent to over a billion dollars for their cargo business now i think that's going to unwind in the next little while because a i think shipping rates are going down and b if other airlines start flying into new zealand and as there's more uh, passenger travel that will i think because they put um cargo with some passenger plane, planes or at least there's some sort of impact there so i think that that's going to go down so overall uh it's just not the kind of business that i would sign off on okay so i'll, I'll just take that as an avoid at this point mm. okay phil yeah, look, I, I tend to agree. Uh, the only other thing I'd add is um, the industry, the whole travel industry, let a lot of staff go in the last two years. A lot of them have been redeployed. We've got full employment in Australia. So uh, there are plans for airlines and the industry to come back to growth, but they can't find the staff because they've all said, well, you let me go um, when you didn't need me. Now I'm happy working in another job. I'm not coming back. So You only have to listen to those stories about Qantas, don't you? Yeah. So for me, and you know, based on consensus estimates, it's trading at fair value. So given all the risks that we just outlined, there's no need to be there. Plenty of cheap stocks to without the headwinds. It's a sell for me. Um, if it's bound to take your profits and find something easier, uh, better longer term outlook. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on to Fluence. Matt wanting to know about this. Uh, it uh, is looking to grow its recurring revenues by selling uh, water and wastewater treatment as a service. And um, recently, well, earlier this year, it actually landed a contract in China, importantly. Phil, Fluence. Yeah, look, it's it's $150 billion per annum industry, water purification. It's obviously very important. They service things like caravan parks, etc. They've been char- targeting China for quite a while. Things are harder at the moment in China. They're never easy, but they seem to be harder. The company's, um, you know, has been bleeding a lot of money. <sighs> for me, it's too soon for this stock. And again, what we said earlier about the market focusing on more liquid, already profitable companies, uh, it's just too early. Uh, I don't want to call it a sell, but it's like you, you've got time on this one. As you can see, despite some positive announcements, share price hasn't really moved. I think it's a next year story at best. If you owned it, you might sell into any strength and um, find something more liquid to invest in, pun intended. Yeah, right. Well, um, but obviously it's got a, it's seen that growth potential in China, but you're saying what is just too difficult at this point. Getting a profitable contract in China is difficult. Uh, there are other competitors. Uh, there are other competing water purifying products. Um, is theirs necessarily better than the competitors? Often you'll go for the cheapest option. Um, and stuff that's, um, I wouldn't say it's homogenized, but anything that's um, lower margin that can be replaced with, it, with a cheaper product. It's not an industry that attracts me uh, greatly. It's the barriers to entry aren't that high. But, but you're saying eventually it will because you That's look at the long term yeah. here as far as water treatment yeah. um, across the planet, it's going to be critical. Yeah, well, we need a solution. It will come. That doesn't, and as a consumer, we will benefit from it. That doesn't necessarily mean any one investment's going to do well out of it. Um, there might be multiple players servicing uh, the segment, so we live uh, cleaner and greener. Um, but you don't get any ten baggers in any company servicing that particular space. Also, it seems. Claude, I just thought Phil's comments were just great. Then, except also so gently put. You know, uh, look. I just wanted to zoom in on the China discussion that you were having. Back in June, 20, June 21, uh, 2017, which is right over the left of that five-year uh, five chart where it's um, share price above 50 cents, you know, they put out an excited um, announcement about preparing the first product line uh, 
for a China, and that was a different named company then, I think. But um, it, their name then was MFC. Now it's called Fluence. Yeah, and another another thing you don't like to see is the change of names. Anyway, uh, they 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 rechanged their name in the interim. The share price is is a lot lower. I'm not sure how much money they're actually making from China because you have to focus on profits, not just whatever the revenue is. Now I'll circle back to that revenue issue um, because Phil was all correct, but also so so nice. Now their revenue in the last year was 60 million, and their cost of sales was 49.5 million. So if I'm reading that correctly, we're talking about you know ooh, what is it, 16% gross profit margins? I mean that is a, not a good business. And then on top of that, if you've got another company that was in air purification, Foslock, a PET, they had like one year years ago of heaps of revenue um, from China, and then it sort of went down to it went down to nothing. It was twenty four point five million revenues, um, and most of that China. Look, there was a whole problem with that. I'm not saying that that would happen with Fluence, but it's just not simple to get a good, profitable, recurring um, revenue, or not even recurring revenues, a good, reliable profit from China and get that money out that's the challenge and look that's why a2 milk was great because you're selling them the tin of um milk here in australia and you get that money straight away no worries so yeah overall uh definitely would be avoiding this one i'm sure that there'll be some times when it gets hyped up when there's some announcement or, or whatever and who knows what its journey will be but to me that this is like a long-term story stock uh with its destination you know, zero, but just over many years, probably. Hey, Claude, can I just pick up something you said there, which applies more generally, I guess, as far as companies are concerned with rebranding. Do you see that as a red flag there, if, you know, a new name or whatever that potentially has got problems that's trying to reposition itself? Yes, like it doesn't, the red flags are just not always meaningful. Uh, but yes, I do consider it a red flag. One little red flag on its own, a company name cha- cha- uh, changes its name is not a big deal. And you know, depending on the context of that, it might not be a deal at all, uh, especially, you know, as companies do sometimes change what they're doing. And if they had an inappropriate name that implied that was misleading in itself, it, it might be totally reasonable. But yes, generally speaking, um, you've got to remember, Buffett's got the greatest company ever, according to many people. And it's called after a, you know, a bankrupt materials manufacturer, Ber- um, Berkshire Hathaway. So ultimately, you don't need to change your name to be a great company. Yeah. yeah, Phil, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I, I tend to agree. I mean, sometimes company names change because they make an acquisition and what they buy better reflects what they do. Uh, it's a small red flag for me, but for me, if, uh, if you go back over time and you plot what the company says they're going to do um, and then what they achieve, um, if it seems harder than it is, it, it probably is. And the whole sector, uh, until we mentioned earlier, is like, yeah, they've been gonna, gonna, gonna. Mm. Here we are five years later, you're still gonna, there are companies who are delivering today. Let's In this market, let's focus on those delivering today, not those who are gonna, because yep. with interest rates going <laughs> up, cost of capital's going up, patience is wearing out from the investor's point of view. Um, you know, greater certainty is uh, more rewarded today than um, greater risk, I think. All right, let's round it out. Our final stock is Australian agricultural company. Marty wanted to know about this. It is Australia's largest uh, cattle company. And in fact, uh, change at the top there, uh, promoting its um, COO, David Harris, becoming chief executive and managing director. Uh, also, interestingly, too, just as far as ownership of the company, I think, uh, as if I read it right, a UK uh, billionaire Joe Lewis uh, taking more than 50% of the company. Claude? 
What's your take? Well, unfortunately, this one being a large agricultural company requires quite a lot of knowledge um, that I really just don't have, especially about all the ins and outs of essentially this large-scale uh, agriculture. Uh, so I guess suffice it to say that it's definitely in the, in the too hard basket for me. It's definitely uh, not sufficiently obviously cheap that I would want to uh, buy shares in it based on my very poor understanding of the many moving parts in agriculture. All I would add is just I would think this is considered a, a difficult kind of business. It is capital intensive. If you have, in my opinion, a long-term headwind that weird weather is going to probably make things harder one way or another and so yeah just nothing that um i have spent enough time on to understand my like why it would be a buy or sell so i, I really just can't i cannot say um uh, anything about it other than like I, if i owned it mm. i'm assuming that my long-term trend that i'm trying to buy is increasing uh you know cost of food and protein in, in which case yeah i'd probably agree with that long-term trend and if that's your sole reason, then hold on. But that's the only thing I can really agree with. The rest of it, all the moving parts of that actual business um, seem like in the too hard basket for me. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an honest assessment, obviously. You know, that rule of uh, if you don't understand it, then don't invest in it. Phil? A fascinating company given its share register. As you said, Joe Lewis, billionaire, billionaire number one, owns 50.1%. And there's a guy named Andrew Forrest who owns about 17%. So you've got two billionaires thinking... Uh, let's have some of the company. Um, it's effectively a property play. Uh, it's got a net tangible assets of $2.27 per share. About 34% of that is actually cattle um, and about 60% is property. So it's the property that holds the cattle and the cattle on the property. Uh, property values have gone through the roof in the country as well as uh, in the city. Uh, cattle prices now at 10.60 odd a kilo. We had a scare with foot and mouth disease a few months ago. It's now rebounded, so it, it's it's reacting to that. What's fascinating about this company over the last 10 years, 20 years, it will make an, a, a strong accounting profit when uh, property values rise, when cattle prices rise, but it rarely makes cash flow positive. Uh, so it's lost money in a lot of the last 20 years. The last two years have been very good with high cattle prices. They sell meat, so that's been good for their cash flow. But it's a company that historically has made a lot of profits, uh, but not a lot of cash flow, and it is capital intensive. Um, for me, it's a hold because it's at a discount to its NTA, and it's got two billionaires fighting over the register. I'm kind of <laughs> curious as to how it, uh, how it works out. But for someone who me, like me who likes cash flow, they will get strong cash flow this current year because of cattle prices. It's a March year end. Uh, fascinating to see what happens over the longer term. I'd be surprised if a foreign entity can ever take over the company mm. given FERB uh, rules and it is a large property play. Um, if you think of it as a property play and a cattle play, it is not expensive. Like everything, those values will come down over time. But cattle prices are defying gravity uh, at the moment. So it's a hold from me. All right. That is the show. Let's wrap it up where we've been the last five stocks. We began there with Kip McGrath Education. Uh, Claude, he already owns it. Uh, seeing it as potentially they're undervalued right now, uh, he does have a hold, but if you're not in it, uh, perhaps a potential buy. Uh, Phil also likes it. Um, it is a buy from him. High pages there. Um, a hold from Phil, though this is not cheap. Um, Claude making the point it's not profitable. It's burning cash. He's got to sell on it. Air New Zealand, tricky space um, with uh, airlines, of course. Claude's saying essentially it's everything he doesn't look for in a company. It's an avoid, a sell there uh, from Phil. 
And uh, then on to Fluence, uh, Phil's saying, look, it's just too soon for this company. He's got to sell on it. And Claude also, and Avoid. And yeah, finally, Australian agricultural company. A note from Claude, he's saying, look, it's just too hard to get his head around it, uh, not his space. And Phil, it is a property play as far as he's concerned. It's a hold. Well, let's uh, thank our guest, Claude. Great to have you again from A Rich Life. Thanks, great to be here. Thanks very much, Phil. Had a lot of fun. Phil, thank you to, to Thanks, you guys. too from Shore and Partners. Thank you. All right, that is the show. Stay with us though, because uh, coming up, we've got the small caps. Jane Hutter will be joining us. She's from Tridium. The Call is brought to you by CMC Markets, a world-leading online trading platform for CFDs and shares around the globe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.